Hello, and welcome to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. My name is Jonathan Rosenfeld, an attorney at Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers, LLC. This podcast is here to break down the barriers when it comes to the world of personal injury law. Each podcast will go into detail about a specific legal issue or type of personal injury case, from everyday occurrences to the esoteric. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For more information, visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. Hi, I am Jonathan Rosenfeld, and today I am joined by my colleague, Jerry Beckerman. Uh, Jerry is a Chicago attorney at Taxman Pollock, Murray and Beckerman. And today we are going to talk about train safety. And in particular, we're going to talk about the recent Amtrak uh, collision. Uh, Jerry, first off, thank you for for joining me today. I, I appreciate it. Of course. Happy to be here. Now, Jerry, you know, before we start even getting into things, you know, I was doing some intensive research on this topic and, you know, I was frankly, I was, I was sort of blown away. I was looking at some federal railroad administration data and, uh, you know, while train transportation is really known as being a, a safe method of transport, uh, there still are a significant number of crashes that occur each year. Um, in 2020, uh, according to uh, federal railroad data, uh, there were uh, 4,200 crashes, uh, about 360 um, deaths, and those numbers actually increased a little bit um, over the past year or so. So there. These are, this is a, a real uh, source of injury and a real source of, um, you know, death, unfortunately. Um, and I guess to begin with, you know, knowing that these are real cases and they are, you know, things that do happen more frequently than we, we'd like to, to think, um, I sort of want to get into just some basic information with you, you know. In terms of the causes of train crashes, um, what are the main causes of train crashes that you're seeing? Well, John, thank you very much for having me on this podcast, as always. Um, when it comes to common causes of train accidents, what we've seen in our practice and my colleagues have seen uh, include most often lack of train maintenance. Um, those would include certain inspection violations. So. Um, maintenance, performance, you know, these are not uh, tracks you can just let be. These are not trains you can just operate without any skill, without any experience. There's certain regulations, there's certain inspection requirements, statutory and not, um, and commonplace in the industry that need to be followed. Uh, a major cause, of course, is speeding, uh, reckless train operation, or we call it operator error. That's as simple as the conductor fell asleep at the wheel. Conductor was running late uh, because he was stopping and he was under pressure to get to a certain destination at a certain time, so he was running over the speed limit. Uh, the operator wasn't checking for cross lines, wasn't checking signals, wasn't looking ahead. I mean, we've seen uh, operators falling asleep, honestly. Um, so there's a lot of causes of operator error, speeding, or, or, and reckless train operating uh, are, are certainly a significant cause. 
Uh, wet, greasier, oily floors on platforms, believe it or not, can be a cause of uh, derailments of the condition and maintenance of uh, the platform. Um, is relevant. Uh, people get injured on the platform itself, not on the train, so we're not talking about a derailment or injury while on board and movement, but an injury with the onboarding, so egress or ingress are the fancy legal terms, uh, getting on and off the train. Um, trip and fall hazards themselves on trains also do come up in our cases every now and then, so this would be a, a very commonplace trip and fall premises liability, but within the train uh, car itself. Is it a properly safe and secure uh, train car that's being operated by the uh, company? And uh, obviously a third uh, party uh, driver that's stopped on railroad crossings, okay? They may also be at fault. So it's got nothing to do with the train company. It's got nothing to do with the operator or the air or the speed but someone's recklessly going around the gate, and that could be just a soccer mom in a hurry to get to practice, or it could be a truck driver skirting the laws because he wants to make a delivery on time, an Uber driver, whatever. Uh, if they get onto the tracks and impede the, um, the train's path, that would also be a cause uh, that we've seen commonly in our accident cases. So, I mean, it, it basically, you know, sort of goes without saying that there's almost an infinite number of ways that these you know, accidents can happen, you know, as long as you have human beings operating these machines, these large, powerful machines, there's an opportunity for a serious accident. Um, in terms of, you know, train crashes, and, you know, we can, we don't have to, you know, specifically target the, the Amtrak crash right now. But uh, in general, when we're looking at railroad uh, and train crashes, uh, who are you sort of targeting in a, in a lawsuit? Um, you know, who are you bringing the case against? You know, obviously, you know, there's a lot of investigation needs to be done, but who are some of the responsible parties for some of these accidents? Sure. The primary responsible party is going to be, of course, the operator of the train uh, car. So Amtrak, of course, we just had that horrific tragedy in Montana, but there's other railroad lines that, you know, are common, uh, Union Pacific uh, and things like that that are old established uh, companies. Amtrak obviously is the biggest transporter of you know, human beings um, within the continental United States, uh, federally funded and supported. Uh, but the train operator is typically more often than not an employee of that company, whether it be Amtrak, Union Pacific, or the like. Sometimes they're subcontracted out, but that's pretty rare. Usually they're employees. So the primary target of litigation and injury lawsuits for injured victims in train derailment or train accident or train injury cases is going to be the company okay if it's uh other operator if it's on the train it's within transit when we're on platforms okay local and state entities could have control over certain places where you again do those fancy legal words egress and ingress or enter and exit the train who controls the platform Who's responsible for cleaning that platform from hazards, snow and ice, the like? And what are the laws that protect those entities? Usually municipalities. That's a fancy word, again, for local towns. Um, so we're looking at the corporate structure, usually the corporation that is operating the train. It could be numerous. We've seen joint ventures, uh, which is maybe one or two train companies that do business across the United States. They uh, uh, join up 
to run certain routes and share responsibility. We're primarily looking though at the train company, the corporation, whether it's Amtrak or similar, their employees, anybody they do business with or subcontract with to operate, and or um, any uh, local municipalities or towns that own the platforms. Great. So, you know, obviously, and it goes without saying that as uh, employees, when they're employed in their capacity with the railroad, uh, they're agents of the company and they're covered, you know, the, the, the company is obligated to indemnify uh, the individual. So it's essentially, you know, as an agent of the company, you're basically bringing a lawsuit against, uh, you know, the company itself as opposed to the individual. Um, now, one of the issues in, you know, in any type of uh, commuter railroad case is the whole issue of common carrier. Um, you know, back in the day when, when long time ago, when you and I were in law school, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about common carriers and, you know, the different degrees of care that they owned, uh, owed to people. And, you know, while we, you know, we, sometimes we sort of forget about some of those things in a situation like this, bringing it full circle where you have a, a crash uh, one of the issues that comes up front and center is common carrier. Um, can you talk a little bit about what a common carrier is and sort of how that applies to a situation involving uh, a train crash? Sure. Um, digging back in my law school books here, uh, but no, in all seriousness, common carrier is something we do deal with on, um, on a very uh, common basis. Uh, so a common carrier is a duty to its passengers to exercise the highest degree of care. So not only care uh, for them, uh, let me put it this way. You and I, John, if we are getting in an auto accident, we owe each other a general duty of care. So don't drive like an idiot. Don't uh, drive drunk. You know, uh, be responsible when you're walking down the street. Uh, you know, don't, don't knock into people. If you have a dog, uh, you know, leash it. You know, act reasonable to each other. A common carrier, which would include a taxi cab, a train oper a train company, train operators, people that transport the general public to and for, uh, to and from for profit, um, they're called common carriers. And they have an extra high duty, okay, a highest degree of care, not only to carry them safely, people to their destinations, but to provide them with a reasonable opportunity to leave safely. So uh, it sounds like you're, don't trap people on a train, but yes, yeah, what it sounds like. Allow somebody to board your train in a safe manner without injury, transport them safely from destination A to destination B, and allow them to safely exit at their destination without harm and injury, all right? Um, what's the logic behind that? I mean, a lot of, uh, at least in Illinois, and it's, a lot of states are similar, the, the Supreme Court appellate courts have kind of justified this uh, by saying, due to the unique control it possesses, it possesses, it possesses over its passenger safety, a common carrier such as a train operator owes its passengers the highest duty of care consistent with the practical operation of its conveyances. Um, a little bit of a better standard. What does that mean for an attorney like us in our law firm? That means when we sue and litigate against train companies for injuries and train accidents, uh, our burden to meet a little bit better. Our case is just a little bit stronger. The jury is going to hear instructions that aren't going to just compare 
what you and I do when we're out in the world of each other. It's going to hold these train companies to a higher standard, and it's more favorable, and it leads to uh, the potential to get more compensation for our clients. That's, you know, and it's really a, a good explanation of common carrier. We just got to remember the highest degree of care. Um, yep. Now, if someone's, you know, injured in a train crash, okay, um, you know, obviously the first thing they need to do is get medical attention. They need to get things sorted out. But from a legal perspective, uh, you know, the applicable law that goes into these cases is a little bit uh, more intricate than, uh, than it would appear on the surface. Um, you know, the, there's different laws that apply to different types of personal injury cases and train crashes are really no different. Um, in terms of the applicable law for a situation, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, things in abstract, or we can sort of talk about, you know, things a little bit more specific in terms of a, you know, in Amtrak crash, you know, if you're, if you're take, if you're in Chicago, you're taking the Amtrak, uh, train from Chicago to Seattle, and there's a, a collision in Montana, uh, you know, uh, on the surface, it seems, well, I don't know, you, you, you bring the, you bring the case where, where you bring the case. But, uh, when you evaluate a situation like that, um, what type of laws are you looking at in bringing a case? Sure. Well, the victim of a train crash may be able to bring a cause of action, depending on the specific facts, of course, against the transit agency or the companies, for example, Amtrak, the owner of the track, the operator of the train, the driver or vehicle that may get in its path, uh, or the equipment manufacturer if it gets to be a product liability case. And you can claim common losses such as medical expenses, so your injuries, your hospital bills lost income if you're injured and prohibited from returning to work, both in the past and in the future, future surgeries, future medical costs, rehabilitation, therapy, et cetera, psychological care, um, as well as future and past pain and suffering and what we call non-economic damages, so in inability to enjoy activities and lead the life you used to lead before you were in this train accident. Um, so you can recover those damages, but given the nuances you just described with your example with a train leaving Chicago, going to Seattle, uh, and, and the occurrence happening in Montana, we get into this really fun uh, law school concept that I'm sure you remember, John, which is called federal preemption, uh, which is basically, uh, you know, hopefully our listeners can understand what state law versus federal law is, but in essence, what preemption is and how it relates to train cases is that the law of the state, whether it be Illinois, Montana, right, um, or Washington, where the train was going, is preempted under the supremacy clause of the Constitution, right? And so there's something that was adopted by the U.S. federal government without boring everybody called the Federal Railroad Safety Act, which preempts state law tort claims uh, only if they substantially subsume the, the subject matter of the relevant state law. What does that mean? It means there's a federal law that guides and regulates most tort or injury cases or railroad accidents when they happen interstate. So this accident that we just occurred, this tragedy was in Montana. There's a lot of injured people. The investigation will eventually conclude that something probably went wrong in Montana. However, something could have also probably gone wrong in Illinois where this train started its journey or potentially in Washington 
uh, where it would have ended the journey, we just don't quite know yet. But in these kind of situations, where do you bring the lawsuit? Illinois, Montana, there's a lot of different state laws, variances, et cetera. Uh, the Federal Railroad Safety Act and federal preemption um, kind of sets a standard, okay? Um, if you allege issues relating to training of operators, uh, failure to maintain qualifications and, and uh, the employees working for the railroad, et cetera, those are all things that would be preempted or federal law kind of trumps state law. Um, federal law places, uh, why does it matter, I guess, okay? So it provides a, a pretty safe pathway for an attorney like us to follow when determining how to sue, what to sue, what allegations to allege, et cetera. It also places uh, caps on what a victim of a train crash may recover. Now, uh, cap, uh, the aggregate allowable awarding to all injured railroad passengers. So for example, in this Amtrak collision, there's 50 something injured plaintiffs, passengers, there's some fatalities, the estates of those people can bring claims, uh, including punitive damages to punish the railroad if something egregious happened, um, are capped at $200 million. Okay, that sounds like a massive number, but with 50, 60, maybe more traumatically injured people, uh, the lawyers involved in the litigation need to uh, kind of huddle up. The claims are usually consolidated, brought in one courtroom overseen by one judge, with the understanding that in totality, 200 million will be the maximum recoverable by everybody, whether it's the death cases, the injuries, et cetera, all right? Um, so, for example, Amtrak is required because it's federal, it's under this federal Railroad Safety Act, it's federally funded and backed. It has to require a total minimum liability insurance coverage for claims in the amount of $200 million at a minimum. Again, seems like a lot, but if you aggregate, add up all the cases, all the victims, um, that number does come into play at some point. I mean, my head's spinning a little bit, but I... Uh, nah, sorry about that. It's a little... <laughs> professorial of me but no you did you, you look my head my head spins a lot but you you really did a nice job breaking that down uh you know for people you know i think you know the bottom line is you know is a is a victim of any type of injury you know this is actually what you just described is sort of the in my mind's eye reason number one why you want to get a lawyer who has experience with the particular situation that you're dealing with, because, you know, this stuff gets real complicated real quickly. And if you are, you know, are, are sort of trying to navigate this on your own, uh, you're really, you're in for a, a, a dog fight. Um, now, the last thing I want to talk with you about is, you know, a lot of times in situations like this, people, uh, families involved in the case, such as the Amtrak crash, maybe reading news reports, you know, they may be watching the news. Um, you know, people like to pontificate uh, about everything, you know, they like to throw out ideas, oh, the track was old, oh, the locomotive was going too fast. Uh, you know, it was, the weather wasn't perfect. You know, people just go on and on and on. And you know, I, everyone's got the right to, you know, take a stab at things. Um, and there is a, a investigation that's being done by the NTSB, which um, is extremely thorough. You know, they're these people who investigate these cases really are pros. This is their job. They're very thorough. They know what to look for. Um, 
but they really do. This is a process, you know, it, they do take their time as they should, when it comes to investigating these cases, talking to witnesses, looking at physical evidence. Um, but what I want to get back to here is if someone, you know, an individual who was involved in this, or if, you know, if they have a, a family member who is involved in this and they're looking at the news reports and they're like, well, I don't know, maybe it's Amtrak, maybe it's, uh, you know, some other party. I don't really know what to do. You know, uh, you know, do I need to wait for the investigation to be done? Um, what would you suggest that they do uh, in terms of protecting their legal rights today and in the foreseeable future? Sure. Um, well, listen, right now everyone can conjecture and guess what happened. Uh, the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, and a lot of people smarter than you and I uh, in their expertise are investigating what happened. These investigations take a while. Um, what do injured people do? What should they do? Well, they certainly shouldn't sit around uh, and wait. Obviously, if you were on that train, if you were injured, or if you're in any, involved in any train accident where you're injured, you need to contact a competent attorney that has experience in litigating these specific unique cases that have federal preemption issues, that have caps on damages issues, and a host of other issues that really can't be done by uh, you know, your run-of-the-mill family uh, wills and trust lawyer or somebody that handled your divorce. Specialists like our firm, specialists like yourself that work in tort law, that work in injury law exclusively, uh, and that have the resources and the skills to, to travel to the, to the scene, to uh, work with other attorneys, to work across multiple jurisdictions, be licensed in federal court and member of the federal trial bar, like myself and members of my firm that have at least 50 hours of trial experience and are certified to handle these kind of cases. You need to contact a law firm like ours and like yourself and work on cases like these. Why? You need resources. You know, if we get a contact or if you get a contact, John, and we decide to work together on a, on a case for somebody injured in this Amtrak incident, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to retain an expert, okay, who's going to know what the NTSB is looking for. That's going to keep us apprised in the investigation. We're going to get an opportunity to preserve evidence. We're going to contact Amtrak or any other business corporation or municipality that has anything to do potentially with this derailment. We'll ask them to preserve evidence, allow us to inspect, okay? Allow us to retain experts and bring them out. This all costs money. You know, contingency fee cases, as I hope your audience knows, um, the lawyers take on the risk of the cost of the case. So a firm like ours, uh, if we were to work together on a case for somebody in this incident, John, we would spend the kind of money and the time and resources it would take to figure out what happened, okay? That's important. You need to um, obviously preserve your rights preserve your evidence, um, that's what we would do in a situation like this. And that's why it's important that anybody that does potentially have a claim and may, maybe is confused, do I need to hire a Montana attorney? Do I have to go to somebody in Washington because I live there? Or do I go to Chicago? This is a national case. You know, cases are national. Uh, federal law applies. And what you need is an experienced, competent uh, attorney that knows what they're doing. Uh Excellent, excellent points. I, the only thing I would just throw in the mix is that, you know, a lot of times in these situations where there are multiple plaintiffs in, you know, that 
uh, sort of derive out of one incident, uh, it is always nice to have an experienced attorney who is, you know, going to bat for you, uh, who is, you know, in, in, a, in a sea of plaintiffs and, a, and in a sea of attorneys, they're willing to really do what it takes to look out for your best interest. And, you know, certainly I've, I've seen you do this in, in other situations similar, you know, where there's mass uh, injury, mass cata uh, cat catastrophic injuries. So, um, you know, hopefully people will listen to this and they'll, you know, if they have questions, they'll reach out to you and, and get some answers. But um, Jerry, as usual, uh, amazing insight today. Very, very helpful. I appreciate your time. I look forward to talking with you again. Peace be with you. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it as always, John. Thank you, listeners. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld. If you or anyone you know would like more information on any of the topics on the podcast, please visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Please feel free to rate the show and leave a review. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.